I'm Monica Melpass on Inside Story. It's a no-go on Amazon in Philadelphia. Now it is back to the drawing board on creating new jobs in the city. Let's get the Inside Story. Good morning and welcome to Inside Story. Let's meet our insiders today and they are Nelson Diaz. Good Judge, morning. we appreciate you being here. Jan Ting, law professor. Good morning, morning to Monica. You, sir. David Dix, government relations executive. So nice to have you, David. Good to be here. And Farah Jimenez, a nonprofit executive. Farah, glad to have Good you morning. as well. Amazon needed an East Coast center and they chose New York and Arlington, Virginia. They even put a little section down in Tennessee. So Queens, Arlington and the Nashville area winning out over Philadelphia. What did they have that we didn't? $1.5 billion so in New York City. So it's tax incentives? And an opportunity center, which is also a tax revenue. And a tax lawyer will give you that the tax revenue is probably going to be close to another billion dollars, possibly, in terms of employment. So they've got that benefit in Long Island City. And Philadelphia obviously didn't have $1.5 or had pretty much not that close to anything, and that's, that's the sad part. And then I think the Washington, D.C. area uh, was what executives always do. They want to have their office near their work. And, and so he lives, yeah, he lives in lives Washington, D.C., right. and he owns the Post. There's right. a lot of questioning going on in, in New York in particular over the extent of the financial incentives and a lot of questioning as to whether what they get out of it is going to equal um, this kind of corporate welfare, uh, rewarding one of the most <laughs> profitable corporations uh, in the world with uh, financial incentives. But I think Philadelphia got a lot out of this experience. Mm. I think we demonstrated our uh, viability. We gained a lot of visibility. People took a look at uh, Philadelphia who might not otherwise. And I think it, uh, it pulled people together internally in Philadelphia. I think they had a great presentation uh, in, in putting this together, and I think they saw our strong points and areas uh, for improvement. So I think uh, it was a big plus for the city of Philadelphia to go through this process. And the city did have a package of incentives because Amazon was very right. clear up front that they wanted some incentives as one point of choice, but they said also it's the poor quality of the job applicants and so that's a you know sort of vicious cycle we have a hard time breaking through good education no bad education so you don't have the qualifications how do we get well, through that th cycle? there's a there's a lot of talent in Philadelphia and in the Philadelphia region mm -hmm. what we're lacking is in tech talent while we are an emerging and growing uh, tech um, corridor we don't have a level of tech talent. That if you're a company as large as Amazon, you're thinking about the pro career progression of your employees. How you attract employees has much to do with their opportunity to work at the large corporation like an Amazon or a Comcast, but it also matters whether or not they can stay local as they're trying to progress and move up the career ladder. And if there aren't similar industries, it makes it less attractive. Well, Cara, but as the an SRC member, you know that our school system is horrible. And, 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 and relating to that, if you look at the New York school system where they're going to in Queens and you look at the school system in Crystal City, is a big difference in terms of the quality so that if you're bringing in people into that area, your children at least are going to get an education. Yeah. In Philadelphia, you also have that problem, which distracts yeah. business people. I, I don't want, uh, if I could just say, I, yeah. I don't disagree with you in terms of the challenges in our school system, uh, but it's education is a long lead item. It takes at least 12 years sure. before you're going to get that 
educated student out to become an employee at Amazon. Amazon's looking about what's available right now. But they also and that's want long term. So David, how do you fix the today problems to attract some other companies? Well, I don't know that the education was the default factor for why Philadelphia wasn't selected. There were 20 cities that were essentially like waitlisted and uh, they picked New York and they picked Washington DC. I think it has more to do with Jeff Bezos' quest to become emperor of everything and locking down the two most important cities on the East Coast was, was important in that quest. But I I want to so. echo something that Jan said. I think the best thing that came out of this is the fact that the industry worked closely with the um, elected officials to put together a credible application. Uh, out of it is germinating conversations about how do we address our tech talent challenges because we do have an amazing company like Comcast here that's providing expansion and opportunities. How do we develop more um, uh, individuals with that talent? So I think there's more we're going to see emanating from that. The other thing is not all is lost. We're between the two primary locations. We're right in the center. That is not a deficit. That is an asset. So there's going to be opportunities for business to business. Right. Um, and I can imagine there are going to be companies that are going to find Philadelphia to be a prime location. What I hope is whatever billion dollars we put on the table, we make available, not just right. to corporations who come in to serve Amazon, but to those who are already here and struggling. Yeah, and Nelson, you get the last word because you said you disagree with David on yeah. Jeff Bezos wanting to set up a fiefdom. Yeah, I totally disagree because You've gotten 22 applications. You saw Nashville got a piece of it, which is in the uh, country, in the middle of the country. And so I really believe that Bezos was looking for the best way that he could manage the area. We have 22 million kids going to school here in the colleges, so we have an educated population. We just don't have a place where if I move in, the school system, I'm going to have to go to a private school somewhere, so I have for to pay that. For your own children. Well, yeah, for my own children, or I have to go to the suburbs, which is which is what part of the problem. And I think, secondly, he was looking for whatever incentives he could give. You can't compete with New York when you have the governor and the mayor giving you $1.5 billion. If I am in a public company, you've got to take the best offer available because you're talking about profits. Sure. And he would be irresponsible if he hadn't taken New York. All right, let's move on and talk about a former city representative who's now charged with corruption. This was a high-ranking, perhaps the closest advisor to Mayor Nutter years ago, and now is being charged with using some of the city funds to make her own lifestyle better. Alan Butkovis, the former city controller, said years ago, that he was noticing some issues with this Philadelphia fund and mentioned Desiree Peterkin Bell and the mayor at that time, Mayor Nutter, literally called him a liar and challenged him to point uh, further and show him some more proof. And now, in fact, the Pennsylvania Attorney General is the one charging Peterkin Bell. What's your response to not only what happened, allegedly, what's alleged to have happened, but also how uh, tangled it got and uh, personal it became? Well, the force of the response that Mayor Nutter had to the controller's report um, accusing uh, Desiree Peterkin Bell of those improprieties suggests two things. One is his disdain for the city controller. Um, he was just angry that he was being accused of anything. And also the, his allegiance and loyalty to one of his key employees who happened to have an office right next door to him, which is Desiree Peter Bell. Those two things coming together, I imagine at this point, um, Mayor Nutter's probably not sure what to be more angry about. Um, that uh, controller was correct or that 
his loyal employee failed him. And he um, had, or allegedly failed him. him. She hasn't been convicted. Yeah. He has said uh, in a quote, the former mayor, that if the facts lead to concur with the attorney general's assessment, that he is horrified by that because he did have morals as one of the pillars of his administration. Yeah, I think more than the intertangled between, the intertangled between Michael Nutter and Alan Buckovitz, this is really speaking to uh, Attorney General Josh Shapiro's zealous pursuit of political corruption. I mean, he's shown that he's, you know, really ready to go in and kind of take on some of the, the biggest the biggest challenges in the state, uh, whether it be the, the sex abuse that he's that he's already taken on or or this case. I mean, this doesn't this isn't a case that comes with a lot of um, political favor, but it is something that's very going to be very high profile, and we've seen attorney generals in the past kind of take these cases on. And I think it reflects poorly on uh, Mayor Nutter's administration, and I think uh, Alan Butkovitz, uh, the former controller, gets some credit not only for uh, disclosing the information early, but standing up to the mayor's uh, onslaught of criticism. He's uh, running for mayor himself he now. He is. Yeah. Alan Buckovitz. He's a long shot prospect, I think, but... Uh, but he also had used sort of the clean it up uh, in the political realm as his calling card and made a name for himself for, the, you know, many years. So it, that's what he's known in as. making a name for himself, he also lost the last controller's race. So I, don't, I think it's important to kind of point out his last election wasn't a successful one. So we'll see what happens this time. I, I, I think it, uh, it hurts Nutter because Nutter was Mr. Uh, ethics and really changed the ethics law which uh, changed the way one, one gets elected uh, mayor in the city um, and the fact that it was one of his closest advisors, the city representative um, that was the one guilty of these activities. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Yeah, she's going to trial. Everybody's citizen to prove guilty. No question about that. But the, the fact that, that she was the one that she defended um, was really uh, a, a slap in his face in terms of him continuing this ethic role that right. he wanted to and sometimes you know you just can't control your employees. But I was going to say I don't think he's as much of a long shot um, as you Alan think. Bakovitz. Al Bakovitz. Alan Bakovitz. Um, because if you remember back the last time we had a primary contest, it was Milton Street running against Michael Nutter, and he got 24% of the vote in the primary, and you know Milton Street did not raise a ton of money. So there are always going to be a community of disaffected voters, even in the primary election. We just haven't had an active one in so long. There's and there's something, to be well, there's something to be said when you have an incumbent and um, you have two uh, potential uh, Democrats who are going to run, who three. are looking to run against him in the primary the three. three. They're, right. they're Mike, Mike Stack, uh, Tony Williams, uh, and himself. But so the, the feel that Tony Williams has is that they would divide up. That's just very unusual for Philadelphia. Absolutely. I don't think yeah. anyone can point to an instance where we had a mayor of Philadelphia who was eligible and running for re-election who lost. Yeah. Right. That's correct. I mean, 70 years since that. Happened. All right. Let's move on to talk about a little more dissection of the midterm elections, which were yeah. fascinating. Philadelphia had a bigger turnout than normal for an off-year, a non-presidential race. And uh, surprisingly, the Southeast uh, Pennsylvania GOP did not have some of the turnout or some of the results that it was hoping for. And uh, many are calling it the year of the woman. So four women elected to Congress from Pennsylvania. That is a record for this state. Tell me a little bit more from your perspective about who went where, when, and why. Well, I think as the returns trickle in, it's becoming apparent that there really was a blue wave, um, uh, not only in Pennsylvania, but uh, but all across the country. And I think, uh, you know, certainly in the suburban uh, counties around Philadelphia, we saw uh, that blue wave in spades um, and uh, the rise of the women 
everyone's been talking about uh, the new women going to going to Congress. Um, it's also made a difference uh, in the state legislature. Not enough to uh, uh, turn control of the state legislature, but uh, more new faces, more Democrats are going in. And in Delaware County, uh, where I live, we see uh, more Democrats yeah, and uh, it was elected. A it was a woman wave, because <coughs> even Republican women were winning the races. Right. Um, we have 100 in Congress today, which is the largest number ever. And so I think uh, it will bring some rationality to the Congress since men uh, are so willing to continue not to uh, agree with each other. Okay. And back in Pennsylvania <laughs> in the Senate, yeah. five Democratic seats were picked up and they were able to right. flip those that had been Republican. And uh, a few people though were exceptions. Brian Fitzpatrick uh, was able yeah. to win. Yeah. He had sort of an impact weakening that part of the blue wave, if you will, getting a second term. And also um, uh, Congressman Mike Kelly in Erie yeah. was able to hang on. Uh, on the federal level, it was more of a wake than a wave. Okay. People were, were, <laughs> were hoping for 50 seats or 60 seats, right. they got 39. On the state level, it was certainly a wave. Uh, when you look at the way the governor performed in his reelection, the way Senator Casey performed in his reelection, and the way the legislator performed, picking up five seats in the Senate and 11 on the House side. Well, it's mostly in the southeastern part. Um, Yes, it was a lot in the southeast, but there were there were three new uh, electeds out west in Pittsburgh. And you know, when you look at essentially how these leadership elections went further, Philadelphia really strengthened themselves. But you, you, still, have, you still have a Republican-dominated legislature in the state. Right. You right. haven't changed the, the leadership to some extent. And even though we've got a southeastern caucus, which is different, mm -hmm. the caucuses throughout the state are still pretty much Republican. And let's well, talk about U.S. Representative Tim uh, Tom MacArthur, the incumbent Republican who lost out to Andy Kim as yeah. at, when the votes were finally counted. What did you make of that one? Oh, well, I think that was a reflection of the fact that Tom MacArthur, even though that is not a congressional seat that should have gone to a Democrat, um, was um, fearing some receiving some consequences for his vote on the tax bill, which in a heavy tax state like New Jersey, where real estate tax really is the way they fund almost everything, um, people really realized they were going to feel that in their pocketbook. And I think that policy decision and support, no matter how nuanced his support of it was, I think was kind of the architecture he that created his defeat. The, uh, he voted for the repeal of the Affordable Care Act yeah. and uh, taking away coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. It was and he waged a racist campaign yeah. uh, against uh, Andy Kim, yeah. who won. I mean, he ran these TV... It's one thing to give out dog whistles when you're at a rally with your own supporters, um, but it's another thing to put it out on a television screen so everyone can see it. He used this uh, typeface that made uh, letters look like Asian characters. Uh, it's actually got a name. It's called the Wonton Font. Mm -hmm. He used the Wonton Font in his ads to mm -hmm. to make Andy Kim look, as he said, not one of us. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who was born in South Jersey, raised in South Jersey, Andy graduated yes. from Cherry Hill right. East High School. Um, he's as much South Jersey as anyone. Right. And uh, you know, MacArthur ran this racist campaign, which I I hope uh, that was a factor because people should yeah. react negatively when they see that All sort right. of. Stuff yeah, absolutely. His alignment with <coughs> President Trump in that district did not help him at right. all. And he continued to like double down on that alignment and the district wasn't wasn't in favor of it. All right, we're gonna take a break. More inside story coming your way right after this. Stick around. 6 ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University.
Welcome back to Inside Story. How to prevent online scams. Last week, a jaw-dropping uh, turn of events, if you will, in the GoFundMe campaign involving an alleged homeless man. Come to find out after all the court back and forth over who took what money of the 402000 plus raised, allegedly by a couple helping out a homeless man who had helped the woman out when she reportedly got stuck on the side of a highway and broke down her car. Uh, now the prosecutor in Burlington County says all of it was a hoax. They're all charged with trying to rip people off. Uh, how do we prevent this sort of thing? Well, it's a direct threat to the GoFundMe website. Uh, people are going to look at anything that comes through that website with skepticism, and that's why GoFundMe is going to uh, refund the money right. to everyone who that's contributed right. to this scam, $400,000. Right, most um, of the money's been spent, so it's out of GoFundMe's right. pocket now. They and have GoFundMe, ha GoFundMe has a guarantee if you actually read the language. Right. There's a guarantee if you claim that you've been, um, it's been uh, fraud within 30 days, I think. So this is unusual, it's a year. But the bigger thing is there's a local uh, nonprofit that benefited from the generosity of people when the uh, caravan crisis was being elevated, a group called HIAS. Um, so there's evidence that if you're doing GoFundMe, but you're doing it attached to supporting a nonprofit, your risk isn't there. I think what happens is when someone, I recently got a request to help with the- An individual. With help, to help with individuals connected to the fires in California, but I didn't know where that was gonna go, so right. I chose not to make those kind got of- Got yeah. I always, I always refer someone who's requesting it to an existing nonprofit near them. And uh, I get a number of requests that people just come into my office and I call the directors of those offices and ask them, could you please help this individual or the program? And then I get a feedback on it because it's a lot more responsible if you go through the 501c3 right. tax groups that are qualified by the government. Doesn't guarantee it, but at least it's a lot more uh, beneficial. Half a chance. Pe people, people scam every day, and it, it would be shame on us as a community if we get away from helping people because of this one scam. I think we've already given them too much time and attention. I look forward to the courts <laughs> taking taking this off from here, and I would encourage folks when they see uh, programs or incentives that they want to give to, use GoFundMe and do it. All right. Let's talk about Philadelphia has a new uh, huge $181 million bond that's going to go yeah. in little parses to help lots of different groups as it should, but are you happy with some of the choices or do you think some groups got ignored? Uh, I mean, obviously, there are always, you know, politics are choices, right? Well, who do you who do you ignore and who do you give to? Um, it's a lot of money. Right. <laughs> and there, there are a lot of needs the city has. I always go back to the unfunded pension liabilities that the city has. I feel like we have to find more creative ways than just offering more bond issues to solve the city's financial I, I problems. Was not, I was not happy with the, the passing of that bond issue. They're spending $225 million on just covering I-95. I could have used the $225 million either for the school system mm -hmm. and its needs or for the poverty issue. We have the city with the worst poverty rate of any city in the country, and urban city up, in the country. it's going up 22% higher I mean, than it had been. And, 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 and the schools, you know, it's in that area. Now, we, 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 we continually neglect the neighborhoods for the business community and for South Philly, and that's wrong. The story, I, I, here, the story here really is the fact that that had to be on the voter rolls as a ballot question because the state constitution requires one, uh, let, uh, an a municipality, bonds. to 
issue bonds, uh, issue a ballot question if what they're asking for in borrowing exceeds what right, they're a eligible, amount. a certain amount. Sure. And so every couple of years, we have this bond question in front of us. The fact that it made headlines this year is probably bigger the surprise than anything else, but every two years, our citizens do, do uh, dutifully vote to increase the amount of dollars that are available to be leveraged for they this infrastructure project. They. Well, they should, and right. that, I think, yeah. is the larger That's question. The right. I think people ask, why do we have to vote on hmm. these things? And the, and the answer is to protect the elected officials, right, mm -hmm. so that they have cover that, uh, hey, the voters approved this. I, I thought it was actually a politically astute mix of, of uh, beneficiaries from this project. All right, let's move on and talk quickly about the Fraternal Order of Police versus the district attorney versus the mayor and versus the police commissioner, mm -hmm. all of it over an alleged list of officers who are no longer or not currently allowed to testify in cases. And we're talking about a big pile of money. $12 million in overtime does go to police when they go to court and testify in a case, 6,500 police officers on the force, but allegedly there is a list of those who are not welcome to testify. This list has grown now to the second district attorney. There are, there's obviously a segment of the police, of the, of the police population that has done things that don't render them to be credible witnesses. And I think that the DA is pursuing justice in this regard. He wants to have his cases marked with a successful end, and he's having challenges with that group of police officers. So uh, I'm remiss to say that they should be removed from the list so that they can get their overtime. We're That's just not all but, lawyers here, right? <laughs> right. Can you have a list without telling the FOP about the list and how to get on it, how to get off I it? I think so, because DAs and prosecutors ought to have discretion as to which witnesses they're going to call. And if the, you know, the, if the DA wanted to hold this list in reserve and say, well, this is just one factor in, in influencing who we're going to call and who we're not going to call uh, as witnesses, I mean, I think that would be, okay, so, so the, the existence of the list doesn't bother me. It's how the DA is using the list um, consistent with his discretion on a case-by-case well, you know, case basis. Credibility is the biggest defense for a defense lawyer, particularly in criminal cases. Mm -hmm. And if you can just take a police officer and break down his credibility, there's no question, nine times out of ten, either from a judge trial or a loyal trial, you're going to find him not guilty. And, and, and I think that you try to put the best witnesses that you can find to be able to make your case, and that's the duty of a lawyer. That's their prerogative. All right, we're going to leave it at that. Inside Stories of the Week coming your way next. Stick around. Six ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back. Time for Inside Stories of the Week, and let's start with David. We all know that elections have consequences, and this past election had great consequences for the African-American community, particularly in the Southeast and Philadelphia. We saw Jordan Harris elected to whip in the Democratic caucus, Joanna McClinton, caucus chair, Rosita uh, Youngblood retained her spot as secretary, Jason Dawkins is now the Philadelphia delegation chair, and Margot Davison is the Southeast delegation chair. That is huge gains for African-American leadership in the State House, and I'm excited to hear it. All right, Farah. Well, there's great news for the mayor and for Superintendent Height. It looks like taking over the governance of the school uh, district worked to their favor. Uh, they are now looking at Moody's providing an upgrade of their credit rating from junk bond of BA2. And so it's being investigated, and what they cite is the change in governance, fiscal stability in the city, and fiscal stability in the school district. Oh, so terrific. good news for all of us. Absolutely. All right, Nelson. Um, Maria Pahel Battle. Uh, was uh, given a legacy award, a pinnacle award by Aldea for her activities in Women Against Rape and her activism. 
and also for being the top executive in the healthcare area uh, in the Philadelphia area with the Latino community. Wonderful. And Jan. This week, the National Constitution Center presented the Liberty Medal to former President Bush and his uh, wife, former First Lady Laura Bush, uh, in a ceremony that is going to be rebroadcast on 6ABC at 1230 uh, this afternoon. Um, it's, they received the medal uh, in honor of their work with veterans, and it's understandable that uh, they would be working hard uh, in the best interest of veterans, giving the uh, disastrous consequences of the 2003 decision to invade Iraq. Mm. All right. Thank you to all of you for your thoughts and ideas. Thank you so much for watching Inside Story this week. We hope you have a wonderful week ahead and a very happy Thanksgiving. I'm Monica Melpass. We'll see you right back here next Sunday.